Now, take your Bibles, if you will, and open them back up to um, Genesis chapter 2. Let me read you uh, just two verses. The words of institution of marriage are found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, which say this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. You know, I'm not sure which is the most important this morning. That is what I say or how I say it. I'm not sure whether it's the facts are the most important or the way those facts are delivered. I am um, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed by anything that I want to teach you this morning. But I might be ashamed afterwards if I don't say these things rightly. As you know, we're talking about marriage, the basics of marriage. And I I think you probably know that there are very few issues that put us out of step, out of sync with our culture, as does the subject of marriage. And, And I'm not simply talking about gay marriage. There are other views, like uh, the, the polyamorists. You ever heard of those guys? They're for group marriage. And then there are those in the, in the real radical left of the feminist movement who say that women will never be free until marriage is abolished. Um, our views, that is, as Christians, our views of marriage are pretty much despised. Or, or at least, I, I guess best case, they're, they're thought of as somewhat archaic, but at worst case are actually despised. And, and folks, I want to suggest to you that, that part of the reason that they are despised is our fault. <laughs> for, for these reasons. First of all, We've, we've framed the whole debate in the us versus them. That is, we're right and you're wrong. You know, I wonder sometimes if, if what they hate, what, what the opposition hates is not so much what we stand for, but our arrogance. You know, um, we don't treat the, the opposition with respect. We treat them with this, this snarling disdain. And then you've got the fundies out there. I, I don't, I, I, I don't know what you would mean, if you know what I mean by that word fundies, but, um, I'll have to tell you later. But the fundies out there are about the only word they know when it comes to marriage is the word submit. <laughs> As if, 
as if all of marriage revolves around a woman's submission. Something with which I don't agree. Maybe you do. But um, but we evangelicals, we we aren't without our our guilt too. We are, um, you know, we don't have all the answers, guys. One of my heroes is a guy by the name of Calvin, and he says that no man is ever over seventy percent right. We we don't have all the answers, but we act like perhaps we do. In fact, I heard us described as nasty and knowing. <laughs> nasty and knowing. There's this episode of The Simpsons where um, where Homer runs into his neighbor, Maud Flanders, who is a born-again neighbor. And um, he hadn't seen her in a while, and he, he says to her, uh, I hadn't seen you in a while, Maud, where you been? And she says, oh, I've been to Bible camp where we've been learning how to be more judgmental. <laughs> well... You know, I, I, whether that's true or not, I, you know, I'm not sure, but it certainly is their perspective. Guys, I, I read a guy say this this week, and I, and I so ad- agreed with it. He said, um, oftentimes in debates like these, it's it, it comes down to not who's got the right facts. It comes down to, do I want to be like you? You know, um, the position that the Christian church has on marriage, the, uh, the majority of, uh, of our Western culture would just assume we shut up and go away. But we can't do that. I mean, that in essence is to ask me not to love you or, or not, not to love them. Let me, let me illustrate. This past week, uh, just before Mother's Day, my wife wanted to, wanted to put together some, some whipped cream. You know, some real whipped cream. You know, not that cool whip stuff that the rest of you use. I mean, the real stuff. And, but she had had some, some bad experiences with whipped cream. And, you know, every time she had done it, not every, most times, it had been, uh, it had been rather soupy, you know? And so, um, and she didn't really know how to pull it off. And so she called, the expert. Now, if you don't know, the expert is a woman by the name of Rebecca Brasher. She, oh, is she good. And so she calls Rebecca and asks, you know, Rebecca, how do you make your whipped cream? And so, indeed, Rebecca told her what to do, what to buy, how to do it, and, and voila, it came out, and it was wonderful. Now, now, just imagine, had Susie called Rebecca and said, Rebecca... Could you tell me how to, to make that whipped cream that you, that you make? And she said something like this. Well, yeah, I know how to do it. But I ain't telling you. What would you think of her? Guys, we believe that the Bible tells us how marriage is to work. Don't we? But, um, but I'm not supposed to tell anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm simply supposed to shut up and go away. I can't do that. Because anything you love, you want to talk about. Now, don't you? You um, get yourself a new girlfriend. You find a, a, a good restaurant. Read a good book. See a good movie. You want to talk about the things that you love, you know? Well, guys, to say... 
that I'm not supposed to talk about what I love, that's very emotionally unhealthy. Oh, I've got to talk about it all right. But I've got to talk about it rightly. One of the things that I regret about my sermon this morning is very frankly, a lot of what I'm going to say is going to sound like the platform for the Republican Party. And, And I hate that. Because very honestly, folks, I hope you realize that Christianity is far too conservative for the Republican Party. But it is also far too liberal for the Democratic Party. There's nothing political at all about Christianity. The Bible is is not some kind of manual as to how you might be a good Republican. That's, That's not what's in here. But if I believe this book... And I believe that the words that I just read you out of Genesis chapter 2 are the words of institution about marriage. Then, my task as a biblicist, our task as as biblicists, as people who, who really believe this book, is to try and understand what a simple reading of this text tells us about marriage. Now, can I read it to you again? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So, let's get to that without, without any further fanfare. Okay? Here we go. Here's basic number one out of this text. It is called leaving and cleaving. You ever heard of that? <laughs> um, the newer translations say, uh, shall leave his father and hold fast. But the old title is simply, is simply leaving and cleaving. Now, folks, uh, does anybody in the room have any um, in-law problems? Well, if you do, it is most likely because... You've never done this. That is that leaving and cleaving stuff. Consequently, one of you or both of the spouses has a, has a misplaced loyalty. And that spells trouble, folks. Let me give you a definition. I love this definition because it's mine. You know, I don't have about three original things in my whole repertoire. Um, my definition of love, this, and a couple of maybe, and that's it. The rest of it, if it's not in a book or on a tape, I don't know it. So this is mine. So I, I really love this. You want to hear a definition of leaving and cleaving. Here it is. Marriage is not the merger of your two worlds. Marriage is the abandonment of your two worlds so that you can create an altogether new one. Last night, when I stood on this stage under a little garland of whatevers, I said, may I be the first to introduce to you a new family, a new home, a brand new institution, Mr. and Mrs. William Archie Hogue. That had never existed before. Colleen Rucker had existed. 
and Will Hogue had existed. But, 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 but this new thing was altogether new. And that requires, ladies and gentlemen, not a merger of their two worlds, but an abandonment of their two worlds. Let me tell you a couple of three stories. <laughs> I had a couple come to me one time. And um, they, um, the, the woman was furious, absolutely furious. They were a young couple, and they both worked. And um, his mother had a key to their house. And so one day when they were both off at work, the mother-in-law, his mother, came to the house and rearranged the kitchen. She took the knives and forks and moved them from here to over here. And she took the pots and the pans and she moved them from there to back in here. And then she put the spices and, you know, she rearranged the kitchen. (laughs) Now tell me, what advice would you have given that little couple? Well, our our advice probably would differ. Um, I somewhat prefer the jackhammer approach, but um, uh, you are probably a little sweeter. But but the, but it, one thing for sure, there's some leaving and some cleaving that needs to, to be done. Let me read you another one. This was in the paper this this past Friday. This is this is hilarious. The commercial appeal last Friday. This is from Annie's Mailbox. I don't know if y'all read this. I don't, but I saw this thing and I thought, hmm. Uh, this is from Marcy Sugar and, <laughs> that's the woman's name. Marcy Sugar and Kathy Mitchell. Listen, dear Annie, I have been married for two years to a mama's boy and I hate it. Every time, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Every time we have an argument, he calls his mother, asks her to come to our house And to help and insists that I talk to her. At first, I told him I didn't like that idea. uh, But he always brings his mother into our relationship relationship problems. He obviously didn't care what I thought because it keeps happening. So, like an adult, I talked to my mother-in-law, who I love dearly. She is a great mother-in-law. She said she understands how I feel. But again, it keeps happening. My husband and I are almost 30, and he acts like a child. And my mother-in-law does everything he asks. Now, what kind of advice do you have for this couple? Let me read you the advice that Annie gave. She says, This dynamic between mother and child has been going on for nearly 30 years. And it will take time to change, especially when neither of them understands the problem. That's it. Well, guys, again, um, you may differ with my kind of jackhammer approach to the to the overhaul problem, but um, but you can see that some leaving and some cleaving needs to take place. The very essence of leaving and cleaving, ladies and gentlemen, is that it establishes boundaries. Boundaries in this new thing. I I haven't asked my wife for permission because I thought it was easier to ask for her forgiveness afterwards. 
So um, I'll tell you a little story. When Susan and I first got married, I mean, we hadn't been married long, a couple of three years, and we went to seminary. Oh, no, here we look at it. She's already telling me, don't tell this story. But it's, I, 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 I am going to be nice. I'm telling you, it's, it's not what I say, it's how I say it, you know. Um, we were in seminary, and we lived in a little house on campus that was, um, I mean, it, it was a shack is what it was. Uh, it, we paid $52.50 a month for this house. It kind of doubled as firewood for the seminary community. You know, and during the winter, they'd come rip off a side of our house and stick it in their fireplace. It was just a little dump, but we loved it. And the kitchen was tiny, just tiny. And so um, it had a sink, not a double sink, but a sink, one sink. I mean, this house had been built in the 40s or 20s or and it had one sink, not not like the double sink, so one sink. But Susie and I made it work. I mean, you know, she would wash, I would dry, or I would wash, she would dry. It's a big deal. But her mother came to see us on several occasions. And uh, her mother didn't like that arrangement, so she went out and bought a green Rubbermaid plastic tub. And so she set that nicely inside the sink. And, and then it worked out real nicely. But Susie didn't like doing it that way. And so when her mother would leave, she would take the green Rubbermaid tub and she would put it in the cabinet. Her mother would come back and she would scrounge around through the cabinets, find the green Rubbermaid, and they would come back out. So she'd leave and we'd put it back in the cabinet. And so she'd come several times and finally it was, it, it got to be a little bit of a tension. And so I very sweetly and kindly said, we're not going to use that tub anymore. Now, guys, here's the point. Leaving and cleaving requires boundaries. And gentlemen, the establishment of those boundaries are initiated by you. Look at the text. A, a male a, a shall leave his father. This whole ball gets rolling when we as men establish some boundaries, guys. Now, we may not know what are the right boundaries, but it's supposed to be initiated by us. A man will leave. A man will leave. And then he will hold fast to his wife. He will cling to his wife. Again, I, I may not know what are the right boundaries, but the, 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 the responsibility to initiate that thing is mine. And, and there may be some brief tension uh, and disruption, but in the main, ladies and gentlemen, there's got to be leaving and cleaving that takes, takes over. And if you will do that, those issues like um, holidays, Sunday lunch, vacations, etc., 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 they will be solved. If you will simply follow a biblical norm that's mentioned for you in verse 24, leaving and cleaving. Now, let me say also, you'll notice it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Not wives. Wife. Polygamy is prohibited. 
It seems to be tolerated in the Old Testament, but it is never applauded. And it is always a disaster for a woman and children. Polygamy is. Polygamy is denounced. So there's no, um, no many wives, just one wife. And then one other thing about leaving and cleaving on, on basic number one. Um, notice that you leave before you cleave. No cleaving until leaving has been accomplished. That is, no physical union, nothing short of marriage before the, the physical begins, the cleaving begins, okay? Now, basic number two, and for this I better guard myself, um, Guys, according to this text, marriage is between one male and one female. Um, Only in the last 50 years have people like me needed to include such a statement in a sermon on marriage. Um, Every major world religion holds to that position. Uh, as you probably already know, that is a hotly debated issue in our day. And guys, I, I don't mind the debate. What I do mind is the hotly. That's what bothers me. And some of that heat, some of that hotly, it's our fault. Um, folks, you can talk about the texts and you can talk about the exegesis and the etymology of the words until you're blue in the face. But when the debate is done, homosexual marriage is prohibited in the scriptures. There's no way to torture these words to get them to say anything other than what they say. Guys, I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I know enough about Hebrew to know that a man means a man and a female um, woman means a woman. It's the, The Hebrew words are Adam and Ishah. There's no way to get around what the text teaches. But... We Christians have a lot of work to do in terms of our apologizing to the gay community. Apologizing? For what? Well, for starters, have you heard about this, um, this nationally known street preacher in Topeka, Kansas? who on occasion enlists the support of his congregants to stand at every major intersection in Topeka, Kansas, with a sign that says, God hates fags? Really? Where did you find that? That God hates fags thing? Because, I mean, you certainly didn't find it in here. In fact, what I find in here is that Jesus moves towards 
he, he fellowships with the, the disenfranchised and the marginalized and, and the outsider. He touches lepers. He defends prostitutes. He eats with sinners. And when everybody else wanted to throw him under the bus, Jesus comes alongside. I hate to tell you this, guys, but homosexuality is not an unpardonable sin. But I'm afraid we treat it like that. And then we also have to worry about our hypocrisy. Hypocrisy? What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean, guys. We, um, we, pro- we professing, I don't know, evangelicals or Christians, what do you want to call us? We love sex in the city. We watch all the reruns and we went to see the movie. And then we despise homosexuality. Guys, both of those are sexual sins. And we isolate the one that we hate and call it worse than ours. You know what the you know what the New Testament calls that? Calls it hypocrisy. It says that we're a whole lot like Pharisees. You know, guys, if you I, I, here's a suggestion: if you would listen to some of the stories that some of these folks have to tell about their pasts. That led to their homosexual behaviors. I think you would soften. I heard one just this week. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, if I had had to face what this kid had had to face, there's no telling what I'd be. Ladies and gentlemen, a marriage of two dads is not a marriage, nor two moms. Not according to Genesis 2. But that is not to be any more vilified than the romantic triangle of adultery. Both of those are wicked, ladies and gentlemen. And both of those simply point out that we have a great need of a Savior who is Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, may I say to you, if you are one who is in this room this morning and struggling with same-sex attraction, I hope you know how welcome you are here. My friend, I, I have my own issues. They're not like yours, but I've got issues myself. We all do. And you who are struggling with that, like the rest of us, we all need to move on in our walk with Jesus Christ, finding finding more and more delight in his will for us. But could you forgive us? We're acting like your sin is worse than ours. 
because it's not. Now, my friend, if you are not a Christian, and one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because you think that all Christians are gay bashers, you're going to have to do some modification of your paradigm. Because I am not a gay basher. And I know there's dozens of others in this room who are not either. But having said all that, I can never accept as appropriate, as correct homosexual marriage because it violates the biblical norm. It violates the biblical paradigm. It violates design. And what you're asking me to do is to do something that you won't do. You're asking me, I mean, you would never ask a, uh, an evolutionist to believe in a creator. You would never ask an, an ecologist to, to promote nuclear uh, power. You would never ask a, a, a humanist to serve God, but you are asking me to reject my stated authority. And my stated authority is this book, and according to this book, marriage is between one male and one female. But all this other heat that has been generated in this discussion, some of it is our fault, and I hope that you find it in your heart to forgive us. Um, Homosexual marriage can never be sanctioned by those who believe this book. But in the midst of that, Jesus Christ has called us all to model him when he identifies with the marginalized and the disenfranchised and the outsiders. He calls us to love. So that's our task, my brother and sister in Christ. Now, one other basic, basic number three, and it has to do with one flesh. Oh, finally we get to sex. Um, I've been waiting. The, the, they, were under, they were naked and unashamed, and there's one fleshness. Sex. Yes, yes, sex. But a whole lot more, ladies and gentlemen, than sex. I, I'm not going to say much on this subject because, very frankly, I'm a coward. Um, but I'm not, I, I, my real reason is, folks, this is, this is sacred ground. And I, for one, am somewhat off-put by all of the churches that you read about recently that are having these series on sex and drawing crowds and writing books. And, and um, you know, you can draw a crowd if you want to. If you just want to announce that you're going to do a series on the Song of Solomon, you can get a crowd. But discussions on this subject need to be, need to be had with great care and, and, and in the proper setting. It, it can't be ignored or it shouldn't be ignored by the church. Uh, as if God was some kind of prude. It can't be ignored, but it's got to be treated with a, with a fair degree of caution. Can I read you one verse out of Hebrews 13? He says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge. Guys, God has bestowed great honor on this component, the marriage bed, on this component of marriage. And so we have to be very careful that we not try to Hollywoodize it. 
One flesh means physical union. Yes, it means physical intimacy. I thought it was real cool that God took one and made two out of it. Eve from Adam. And then he took two and made one out of it. In one fleshness. With, with such delight. This, this intimate, comprehensive companionship. And, and, and don't miss this, folks. Sex was God's idea. Sex is to be an illustration of our union with Christ right after we committed ourselves to him. That's one of the reasons that the Bible denounces extramarital sex. Because it's physical union without relationship. It, without commitment. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about the rest of you. But it's a companion. A lifelong companion that I so long for. The sex is a bonus. I desire to have somebody to do life with. And I've got somebody. And I wouldn't exchange that for anything. Very frankly, you want to give me a choice between sexual activity or somebody to do life with? I hope you know which one I would choose, and I would choose it in a heartbeat. I want to read you something, and we'll close with this. Maybe you've heard of the name of Robertson McQuilkin. Uh, I think they call him Robert, but his name is Robertson. He was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, where our own Russell Jeffries matriculated. And um, uh, several years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, his wife developed Alzheimer's. And so he was caught and uh, impaled on the horns of a dilemma. That is, he's got a commitment to his calling, what God has asked him to do with his life, and a commitment to his wife. He chose his wife, and he resigned. And when he resigned, he went to the student body and faculty and made this long speech, and I'm going to read you a paragraph out of that speech. Dr. Dr. McQuilkin. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions. But one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've ever had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Muriel, his wife, Muriel now is in the last couple of months, seems to be most happy when she's with me and almost never happy when she's not. In fact, she seems to feel trapped. She becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. So I must be with her at all times. You see, it's not only what I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part, and I'm a man of my word, but as I've said before, it is the only fair thing. She sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, it is much more. It is not that I have to. It is that I get to. I love her very dearly. And you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. You want that? So do I. That's called one fleshness, ladies and gentlemen comes about when two people 
commit themselves to build a marriage in accord with the design given them by God. Know this, my friends, that you and I as the Christian church must no longer neglect the greatest asset we have, and that is a message of grace. Grace is absolutely transforming. And yet it is, it's, it's counterintuitive. But it is grace that makes us new. It is grace that makes us love. It is grace that provides forgiveness of our sin. And it is grace makes a man say something like this. Think about it. Our Father, I do pray that you will use Grace Evan to announce to the world that grace is greater than all our sin. No matter what kind of sin it is, and forgive us that we have tried to categorize some as worse than others. And I pray that this community would know, God, that this place called Grace Evan cannot stand that kind of vilification. We can't stand it not because we're better and we're more righteous. We can't stand it because we've seen what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That uh, he died for somebody as wicked as Jimmy Young. And that he has made life new for him and for so many others. What he's done for Jimmy Young, as wicked as he is, he can do for others. So do it, O oh God. Do it for your own glory and use Gracie Van just as a tiny player in the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.